Hello. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm late. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not that late. Well, I mean, two minutes, three minutes. When you know, when we say we will talk in five minutes, like I'm basically, you know, almost twice as late. You know, kind of. It's true. Well, that's it. This whole podcast is done. Listeners, Borat Thung, as I think Graham would say. Did I get that right? Is it Borat Thung? It Yay! Woo! Thark, like, thumbs up. Thumbs aloft. Indeed. Indeed. Throw power galore for all. Uh, welcome to Drock, which is our monthly read-through of uh, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. Um, I am Jeff Lester, you one of your two hosts, the other of which is... Graham McMillan. Hi. Hello there, everyone. Yep, see? And there you have it. We are coming to you live from uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's second season of Fleabag block. <laughs> wow, that's really specific. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I could go into more detail, but let's let's just say that, that um, it, if I had my druthers, I, and I very well might, I might end up re-watching that season, like... Once a year, if not every nine months. Like, I just started rewatching it the other night. And listeners, you don't necessarily know this, but Graham knows I've kind of had a hard week. And and even more to the point, and Graham doesn't know this, I'd actually watched the first hour of Annette uh, on Amazon Prime, which is the latest movie from uh, Leo Karras, a musical starring Adam Driver and Marie uh, Cotillard with music I, by I Sparks. Sparks. <laughs> yes, also Sparks, everybody. Sparks. Anyway, after an hour of that, I tuned into Fleabag uh, to rewatch it, and it, and it is and it is genuinely sublime. Like, and after Edie and I, after Edie more or less sort of poked around a little bit on the internet, she's like, okay, we should probably go back and watch the rest of Annette. But I have to say, that first hour of Annette is entertaining in the most um, loosey-goosey definition of the word entertaining. You know what I mean? And and everything that it's trying to do at a certain point, for me, I was like, ah, oh, look at all the cleverness they brought into trying to figure out how to introduce green into this particular scene. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah. and then returning to the second season of Fleabag, that first episode in and of itself is just superb superbly written just just fucking superb and so so i've really just been re-enjoying that it's been a reinvigorating thing and a <clears throat> why not make that a city block and make a city one there have been far sillier ones i almost went with john s mcturnan block um <laughs> but it seemed a little on the nose graham seemed a little on the nose um and so i thought that this would this was a better alternative I'm not going to get horribly distracted. 
So if I say, when we finish recording, I'm going to, I've got one thing to talk to you about in heads. And Fleabag, for that matter. Ooh, boy. Uh, but instead, I will say that we are doing uh, Judge Dredd, The Complete Skates Files, volume 27 mm-hmm. this time. It's material from 1997 and 1998, uh, specifically 2080 Progs 1053 through 1083, and Magazine Volume 3 issues 34 through 38. Mm-hmm. In there is material that also first saw print in the US as Predator versus Judge Dredd. All of it is written by John Wagner. The entire volume is written by John Wagner, which is the first time in 16 volumes, I think, that's mm-hmm. true? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, kind of great, and speaks to, for me at least, a, a certain level of quality throughout this volume. It's variable inside the volume, and yet still, I honestly think, like, all of this was at the least fun oh i think it's, you know like, yeah. like i yeah i thought mm-hmm. it was i thought it was a good volume and maybe because we took last month off like i raced through this i loved this yeah yeah I, and it seemed very fun to read yeah maybe you it, know maybe it did seem like because we had a, a month off i'm not sure but i also felt that um wagner is super on point here and this volume is really interesting because the bulk of the material is uh, i would say largely humorous material most of which i think works really well honestly the quote-unquote serious stories are sort of where things trip themselves up a little in my opinion um and one of the things i think is super interesting about this volume and i'm kind of curious i kind of like to to unpack it with you either now or later um is that even though judge dread the complete case files volume 27 spoilers i will give the rating of drock to i thought was incredibly enjoyable um just just kind of a, a a bounty of good solid fun stories is at the same time, like, I don't know if you remember, but the first year of Drock, and you sort of trailed off on this because it kind of made sense as the numbers went higher, you'd be like, okay, is this a volume that you would introduce someone to Judge Dredd with? You know, which yeah. again, made yeah. a lot of sense in the first 10 or 12 volumes, and then after a point, it seems sort of crazy that you would handle volume 15 to someone and be like, trust me, you'll love it. Yeah, yeah, uh, th- yeah, this is where you start. Yeah, yeah, this is where you should dive in. That being said, in my brain, I tried to see if I could keep track through the varying gradations of where could I find the level at which you you could not hand a volume to someone. You know what I mean? Like, like essentially, where's the point at which Judge Dread becomes? You know, if not impenetrable, then at a level where, like, if you handed it to someone, they wouldn't get it. And I I think that, I don't know it when the first turning point is, if it, I assume it was probably before this, but Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 27, is certainly the first volume that I read where I was like, oh yeah, People wouldn't get this. Like, I'm kind of... We'll break it down a little bit more. If you're reading Dread, it's a great volume. And there's a lot of good stuff. But handing this to someone, like, cold, wouldn't be... Would not be just a 
poor introduction to bad dread uh, to dread or else it it would be the poorest possible introduction in that it would actively turn a non-dread reader off i suspect you think that's because there's a certain number of of conceits that you have to understand uh, yes actually like like cuz cuz i mean especially in the 2018 material like you know the fast food story mm-hmm. which lasts for a long time yeah I, I yeah, yeah yeah mm-hmm. like the concept of of the fatties and and the the you know the competitive eating contests mm-hmm. feels very in jokey that's that maybe that's not maybe not right but it's, it feels like something that you must like it helps if you knew it already does that make sense oh i uh, yeah very much so i mean the thing that i think is interesting i mean yes there's that there's things like mrs gunderson's little adventure which i think is fucking great i think that part of that plays a little bit on uh, knowing who Mrs. Gunderson is by this yeah, point, yeah. but yes. but also I think knowing how much the like one of the tropes of dread is the is Wagner's sort of like urban farce thing mm-hmm. where he throws in a lot of different ingredients and you wait for them to sort of all go off in sort of a Rube Goldbergian plot thing. It's something that he's done a lot. He's done it well. He's done it poorly. I think, you know, in no small part, thanks to exquisite artwork by Henry Flint, Mrs. Gunderson's Little Adventure is is a great little um, execution of that. But I feel like part of that execution is better if you know the tropes right you know sort of the same way that attack of the six crazed love dolls is and also i think maybe the the little gene story or whatever like there's variations on those things that are very funny i think if you know dread as a character yeah and i and i think if you don't they just it's kind of like they just don't land at all and then further i one of the things that you know we'll we'll talk about is some of the serious stories are stories that would be i feel more or less inexplicable to somebody who has not been reading dread for a long time and i and i even think that that's the case with dread versus predator which is clearly designed to kind of function as a dread intro you know, I think we we will end up getting there later, but I mm-hmm. think Dread vs. Predator doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I I think it's it's I think it's got a lot of faults to be perfectly honest, and it's definitely for me the weakest thing in the entire collection. Yeah, which is amazing because um, it's a lot of it's a lot of footprint too. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the longest story by far in the collection, but it's it is legitimately the weakest thing in the entire book. But it's funny because. I agree with you. I think there's so much of this that benefits from basically knowing the rules of dread. Yeah. Right. But despite that, the book starts with holiday special, which is the at least third time we've seen this story. Well, of, yeah. But, but with the new punchline of, you know, there is something being smuggled in by quote unquote addicts into mega city one that, mm-hmm. that dread will say, you know, this, you're going to jail. But in the past, it's been coffee and sugar, and this time it's cigarettes. And for some reason, the idea that it's cigarettes 
makes the whole thing play differently to me. Yes, like no. punchline seems blunted if that makes sense oh it no seems less ridiculous well, absolutely i mean so the thing that is crazy is also i would think that if you are a dread fan of a certain stripe there's a strong case to be made that volume 27 which again i love and will go on to talk a lot about has more than a faint whiff of wagner slash jumping the shark sorry jumping the shark slash missing the point and i think i think holiday special is a is a weird example of that where essentially the only way that the story becomes quote unquote new is to basically have the ending that all the other previous iterations were essentially kind of satirizing you know what i mean yeah, like yeah right yeah, so it's, it's it's the strangest thing. It's the strangest ending because you're like, well, that's not how this ends, right? You know what I mean? you're, yeah, you're like, no, but but that makes sense, right? Whereas before it's like, but it's sugar or it's coffee. Now you're like, yeah, okay, cigarette, sure, fine, okay, well, yeah. But I mean, I right, I I there is something, and maybe because I mean, it's possible that I'm not understanding, like, and the the level is Wagner writing it kind of in a way that would only amuse himself but i think to you know over egg the pudding part of the joke of the early iterations of this story are the idea that mega city one has become so kind of over the, the and the judges are so over the top repressive that things like sugar or comic books or whatever are illegal and contraband it has a certain um, has a certain sense of humor that very much comes from people in the seventies thinking is funny as they're smoking their cigarettes and drinking in the pubs. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole like, oh, the new Puritanism, and what if it gets so over the top that sugar's illegal? Hilarious. Let's write that up. By the weird end of holiday special where dread is basically saying yeah these are contraband because this is a death sentence as he holds up cigarettes is so weirdly full poochie for um for 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 wagner and dread and and also is like it's serious like i don't think he's really saying like oh next thing you know they're coming for our cigarettes this is very much from the way the cigarettes are called you know everything it, it's like cigarettes are bad and will kill you and these are worth cracking down on and there's something that is weirdly like you never see like most of dread's appearances as you know I am upholding the law when it's not moving into the realms of actual violent lawlessness. Like, most of that is on a level of kind of faint ridiculousness poking fun at, you know, fascism, right? This yeah. really does... Well, it. It, it's previously been totalitarian over the top. Yeah. And this is not. This is kind of a serious note. And I'm like, okay, when a serious note comes from the totalitarian, like it, it and not in a messagey way, in a, hey, kids don't do drugs, drugs are bad kind of way, 
that gets that's just very weird. And like I said, kind of a little miss the point shark jumpy. And there are some other points and places in here where Wagner is working at this really great level of craft, and yet at the same time, I'm like, but is this the same thing that Dread would necessarily stand for five or six years ago? And not really in the conscious Dread the character standing for, but how we view the character. Because one of the things that I think has been, that is Dread's strength, is the way that you don't always know what dread you're going to get. I was thinking a lot about this in in volume 27 because I feel that the art just did it for me. Like, there's very few pieces that I thought were kind of like, ugh, that's a mite crap. Like, a lot of it was like, oh, this is this is great. This is good. This is at least solid. Like, eh, it's dependable, you know. But a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'm just loving looking at these pages and realizing, again, in that weird way of, like, if you handed this book to someone who's never read Dread before, like, which is to say, kind of like your traditional American comic book reader, I think it would really kind of throw them for a loop by how how much... Dread as an anthology is very, you know, like 2000 AD is a weekly comic, you pick it up. Like, you're getting a lot of different dreads from week to week. And then when you get it collected, like, Wagner's writing it, so there's that thematic through line, you know, very much so. But the art is kind of like, you know... Dread looks cartoonish in this one, and he looks serious in this one. And even just the way that Mega City One is portrayed from story to stories to story is in no way consistent and in and does not bother me in any way. But I'm also aware that as kind of a weird anal retentive um superhero comics fan, especially one of a certain age, where the idea is, you know, your characters look the same from issue to issue. Like, you know, back when I was back when I was a young whippersnapper, that sometimes happened for like years at a time. Now there's mm-hmm. sort of with Marvel and DC kind of the expectation of okay, uh, you know, the arc is going to have the same artists or at least two-thirds to four-fifths of the art is arc. Yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. trade is going to have that same artist. But with Dread, like, you just go from stuff like just just the holiday special, the art on that by John Burns looks great, but you would... It looks totally different from Kevin Walker or from Henry Flint or from Peter Doherty or when you get to Greg Staples or, you know what I mean? Like, there's just there's there's a kind of weird um thing that you can as by now after reading 26 volumes of it it's just like swimming in like a fish swimming in water i'm not even aware of the medium you know and yet i kind of had those weird moments at a few points where i was like yeah this if this was my first volume of the case files like like i am now initiated in dread like all the stuff that doesn't bother me like it's almost really hard but yeah we'll get into it a little bit more but there are bits and pieces where i'm like yeah that doesn't 
that works if if you have read all this dread and in a sense a little bit because of the like you're aware of the fatties trope you're aware of the farce trope you're aware of the mrs gunderson trope you know you're even aware of the judge child is haunting the city trope you know um all of those things allow for a lot of really solid stories that can focus on different things like it it becomes a form of shorthand but but yeah for whatever reason i just found myself kind of tipping to the idea of like um kind of how foreign it is and also one or two points where i was like wait is this kind of a misjudgment by wagner or am i have i started to become so much of a dread person that that i'm kind of like no, that doesn't make sense, or no, that's not right, or what have you. You know what I mean? I'm tempted to say that you can split the difference, to be mm. honest. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, there, are, there are certain ways that this volume feels like uh, a series of uh, covers of earlier Dread stories. Oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, I, and in ways that are very enjoyable to us who have read 26 volumes before this. Yeah. But would be uh, maybe not impenetrable, but certainly off-putting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a newcomers. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, there's something about the tone of all of these, ironically, with the exception of the Predator story, which is meant to be the new reader jump on, that I feel that you could give it to a new reader, and if they don't get it, at least they aren't getting it, if that makes sense. Like, I feel all of these are a good representation of what Dread is. Yes. You know? And if they don't get it, they don't get it. Well, I okay, on the I definitely I sort of agree with you, but I do think that it is interesting in that it is um well, we'll talk a little bit more about it in the Predator and Dread stuff, but let's just say that if your first Dread story is holiday special, like sure. That that ending might is, might totally turn you off. Right. You know, it's the thing. A holiday special is is uh, I mean, a, 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 a weak story, and maybe one of the weakest stories in the book. Yeah, probably the, the yeah. Predator mm -hmm. one, which mm -hmm. is a shame because, like you said, John Burns' art is amazing for it. Yeah, but not only have we read the Summoners running contraband into contraband into Mega City one story before, mm -hmm. but the punchline of and its cigarettes does lack the satiric intent, mm -hmm. right? It just feels mm -hmm. oddly defined. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like it's a story that has been produced for like a, a, an actual anti-smoking campaign. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's kind of the first time we've seen the appearance of of Wagner as scold. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that for whatever other faults the dude has, he's not much of a, a of a finger shaker. You know, and yeah. that kind of did feel a little bit like one but also in a weird way that the dread goes from being a like just the fact that he's no he's not satirical at that point and that that people who are reading that story if you haven't read the three previous iterations you're not you don't have enough of the sense of the history that sort of the punchline is is as much of a twist as it is. You know what I mean? 
So, I don't know. I just, I don't know if you want to run through, like, because what did you think of fast food with its sort of fatties but different? Um, uh, I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Holly Special and fast food are like a one-two punch of slow start for the books for me. Mm-hmm. Again, the John Burns art and Holly Special, I think, is wonderful. Fast food is, to my mind, an overly long fatty story. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a twist, you know. You're, you're seeing things. I, I liked the, I liked the, the bluff about he's doing it to protect his friend who is essentially being blackmailed, and then it turns out the blackmail's fake. You know, like I like, I like that twist. Yeah. But things like spooks, bull paper, spawny, especially spawny, and even missing, I think, are, are far stronger stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a couple of things, a couple of stories in particular that I, I kind of want to talk about mostly. Yeah, I think that we'll might see work if, better. We'll yeah. see if you agree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I should say, like, there are, I, I, I'm going to look at 1, 3, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So there's 14 stories uh, mm-hmm. from 2000. And, and some of them run multiple parts, but the 14 individual stories. And even things like Holiday Special and Fast Food, which are weak to me, are still good, are still you know, successful strips. There's still things I enjoyed yes, reading. Like I said absolutely. Before, mm-hmm. You know? And and so there is a, a basic level of quality here that I think is higher than the last few uh, case files. Oh, agree. But yeah. when it doesn't land, it's still enjoyable. It's still a fun read. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah. Even For... something like... Sorry, on you. Oh, no, 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 no. I interrupted you. But I will say, like, at a certain point, I checked the page count, and it was more or less something like over 150 pages in before I thought that it kind of, before there was an egg being laid. Let's put it that way. Like, it was 150 I'm, I'm pages curious, what is, what is the egg that's laid for you? Uh, for me, I have to say that um, everything is is really enjoyable, good, strong, and well-crafted. Although you kind of have to squint to make bum rap clear that hurdle. But um, for me, it is when you get to uh, the year 2120. That is... Everything else works for me, and that's where the story... Like, I don't know if it's just Judge Child leaves me cold, but... That's, it's one of the two stories I wanted to talk about. Okay, because I think uh, it's... It, yeah. In the year 2120 is explicitly a sequel to the judge child quest yeah in that it we're finally reached the year that the judge child quest you know which at this point was published you know a good 15 years earlier we've reached the year when the judge child was supposed there's supposed to be a calamity that was going to come to mega city one as a result of the judge child the judge child is dead by this point he's been killed at the end of city and damned yeah uh but wagner nonetheless feels the needs to pay it off in a way that is uh, honestly kind of frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and like not not entirely successful, and feels a bit pedantic in a way that again, dread doesn't normally feel pedantic in that way. Hmm. Do you agree? Um, I, I I feel the need to tie up that piece of continuity is so strange to me. Well, because again, they've killed the character off. Like yeah, that to my mind, the end of City of Dam to my mind actually is the end of that narrative. Yes. Because well, he's like, no, I've changed the future. 
Right. And so to have a, like, oh, but has he? Especially a has he that is so long, because it's like two or three parts, even though it all appeared in one issue. Yeah. Um, it's super it's, long. It feels drawn out, and it feels, and part of this is also Jason Brazil's art, I think, does not serve the story at all. But it feels unnecessary. But it feels unnecessary in a way that, again, feels mm-hmm. pedantic and continuity-minded in a way that Dread traditionally doesn't. Dread is, yeah, is traditionally not. And maybe that's part of why it feels a chore. I think I think the hardest problem with Jason Brazil's art is it more or less gives the game away too much, maybe, um, too early. But I, I also think that, as you know... I was not a fan of City of the Damned for the most part. I kind of, even though it had all sorts of supposedly cool stuff, I was like, eh, it kind of lays an egg. And for the same reason that happens here. To me, part of, you, you can say it's pedantic. I think that Wagner, A, really does not connect with the material of, like, Judge Child always seems like it's a good idea for him. Like, it's very much one of those things that is going to... Like, he more or less felt like he consciously seeded it. And then, at a certain point, kind of doesn't care. And one of the things that I feel that in the year 2120, what really drags it down and why it sucks is... Like you said, unless you have been, like, can you imagine being the first Judge, like, this being your first Judge Dread volume, and you get to this story, you're just like, what the fuck? It seems like a self-indulgent mess. And frankly, for me, knowing the history of the character, I'm not sure that it's really any better than that, but ultimately, the biggest problem is, unlike the previous 150 pages of for the most part, kind of farcical dread stories where every all of the rules are more or less explained and laid down, and that's where the comedy comes from. Either setting up the expectations and subverting them, or setting them up and paying them off. And in a way, in the year 2120, you could say does that. But the problem is, because Wagner is being coy about what's happening and what isn't, and because the mutant, and this was my problem with City of the Damned, is seemingly all-powerful and yet does nothing at the same time, it just feels like what it ends up being. Like, real early on, you're like, oh, he's going to wake up and this was all a dream, you know? In which case, everything going on to make you be like, holy shit, this is a crazy nightmare of up is down, black is white... Like, you're just like, eh, I kind of like how this art sort of looks like Sam Keith, but isn't, I guess, you know, like, and that's my strongest takeaway. But it's really, it's a huge flaw. And again, the weird part is it seems kind of, to me, not unlike Holiday Special in that it sort of seems to misunderstand part of the appeal of Dread. Um... To me, what I think is kind of interesting about In the Year 2120 is, at least at a subconscious level, and this kind of comes up with City of the Damned as well, Dread's willingness to kill Judge Child despite the fact that everyone tells him that he has to save Judge Child is some sort of um, thematically... 
a kind of Judge Dredd sin. You know what I mean? That he should pay for and yet doesn't pay for. Like City of the Damned and the year 2120 sort of maybe make sense if the idea is that Dredd at some level is haunted by his conscience about killing Judge Child, which he is not and never really has been. Yeah, it's not like he has mentioned it at any point since City of the Damned. Right. So, I mean, the thing that I think is really interesting is Wagner keeps sort of coming back to Judge Child as this kind of meaningful keystone in part because you know he more or less did prophecy and mentioned all these future years and now it's actually playing off paying off but but i mean i think that you know for anyone who is red dread and and is a fan of dread dread's decision to nuke soft city at the end of the apocalypse war is is it and that is something that, of course, does get returned to later in Dread. I haven't read the stories, but I know Day of Chaos, all, there's a whole bunch of stuff in which that decision is kind of the primal, you know, quote-unquote original sin of Judge Dread, you know? And, and everyone sort of knows it. It's the thing that makes the character exceptional and kind of makes him makes dread dread like it defined the character for a mm-hmm. generation of fans and 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 everything and judge child is kind of the it's the mega prog yeah exactly <laughs> the judge dread was the mega prog that the creators got so bored of they pulled the plug on right so no, no, to be fair judge child's quest runs its full length it's the city of damned that they end early Oh, okay. I thought they ended Judge Dredd. Oh, right, because City of the Damned was the one where they're going to do the time travel stuff. I thought they wrapped up Judge Child early, too, where it was nope. supposed to be a big Judge space Child's epic. Like 20... Judge Child's like 26 parts. It runs the full length. My apologies. Um, yeah, so... But, but nonetheless, like, it, it, your point is not wrong, because yeah. they do come back to uh, Judge Child for City of the Damned, which they do end early, because mm-hmm. there isn't the juice there. Yeah, and you get the feeling that they like they acknowledge that by killing him at the end of that story. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very very blunt. They just kill him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so again to see year twenty one twenty, basically that sort of exists where where Wagner feels the need to go. Oh, but maybe right it feels like it's back on that. Mm-hmm. It feels like it, it's Wagner backtracking and saying, "Well, okay, but what if?" despite us killing him off 10 years ago, mm-hmm. that somehow he can come back. Mm-hmm. You know? And that feels... I don't know, it just... It feels very un-Wagner and undread. Mm-hmm. You know? It, on one hand, it's also weirdly exciting that we've reached the year that they were talking about. Yes. Like, the, the way that dread works, that it happens in real time. Right. It is exciting to reach the, the future year of that story. Right. But... This is almost the least, you know, the right. least interesting way of dealing with that. Absolutely, absolutely. And so again, it's just as as a longtime dread reader, it's a drag. And for whatever reason, I found myself being like outside of being a long term dread reader. I'm like, this is, um, it's just a mess. It just looks like 
it just looks like slop. Like, it's really interesting to me how much in the middle of the rest of what I think is incredibly high quality, you get something that just sort of reads like something that would have run in the first year of the magazine. You know what I mean? Like, and not not the good stuff that ran in the first year. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm not talking about America. I'm talking yeah. about... Yeah, I'm t- you know, I'm talking about all the the terrible Alan Grant stuff that's in there. But yeah. again, it's like even again, even with this, which is not good. It's funny. I, we keep on talking about this being a good volume, and then we talk about the stuff that's not good in it. But but even with this being not good, it still is of a quality that I think is higher than some of the stuff that we've seen in the previous volumes. It's just again, it's surrounded by work that's so much better, and also. And I think this is also true of, of fast foods. It's too long. There, there's there's yeah. too many pages expended on a story that can't really support it. Well, and again, it's strange for that to be true of the in the year 2020, which ra- all ran in one issue. Yeah, and yet it's it's a very long story. Well, there, there, yeah, there are a couple of long ones in here that you're like, huh? Why, why did this have to? Why would? Why is this? If nothing else, like uh, the. The one, the one that's not Escape from old, old New York City, but should be called it because it rips off the plot of Escape from New York slash the Warriors, where Dread um, arrests the, a walk on Gang Alley, um, you know, is super long. It's really enjoyable, but at a certain point, I'm like, wait, is this part two? And it's like, no, it's all one part, and it's like 12 pages, 14 pages, you know, something that just seems you know kind of baggy for dread in a way that i was also like was this for the holiday annual and it just got reshoved back into 2000 ad to... i mean honestly even mrs gunderson's little adventure which i actually i'm surprised at how much i like and i think i like in large part because of henry Clint's art because oh, i i know you're i'm much more of a fan of his art than you are mm-hmm. but like that didn't need to be three parts well i mean yes i i i think um, there, there's some there's some odd pacing here. There is some odd pacing. I actually thought Mrs. Gunderson's adventure worked okay, in part because, you know, he threw three or four different things in there, and they sort of take their time to pay off. But, but it works. Like for the most part, even even fast food, which is kind of stupidly long, I feel kind of breathes like i ended up more more invested in that story than i thought i would be and i would even say that part of the part of the way that it works is that wagner goes for the everything is set up to end in three parts with essentially dread arresting the guy for throwing the fight and then you get the spin on the story, and then that doesn't happen, you know. And even, mm-hmm. even sort of the stuff with uh, Mrs. Gunderson's adventure, there's a whole point where it's literally the people are getting away, and because Mrs. Gunderson w- wanders into the wrong thing, and a enormous spaceship tilts, you know, a tenth of one degree, you know, and then people are sort of violently impaled. Like, I... I think for the most part things are fine. I think the problem with twenty um, in the year twenty one twenty, part of the problem with it is, is I feel like you either have to go full fake out 
and make it a little longer and play with certain rules and things to make you think that something is going to actually come from this. But because it doesn't, again, in part mixed with the impressionistic art, I'm like, yeah, by the third page where Judge Dredd hears a mysterious figure laughing and drives down, you know, a set of panels that just sort of look like a stage set, you're like, okay, this isn't, like, it's too, it's signaled too early. It's not real. And yet, and yet you're, yeah, you know? It is. The art works against the story again. Yeah. Because the art, even though I, interestingly, I think that's Brazil's style. Mm-hmm. Right, I don't think he's intentionally signaling, you know, this is all fantastic. Right, but he does like he's very styled things that he's the wrong choice of artist for that. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I think that there was a um, God, what what was I? Oh, I, it was a weird, obscure thing about. It. I'm like, who was I talking about the second season of Line of Duty with? And figured it would be you, and realized it was not. But. There's a there's a whole thing where there is a certain um, narrative switcheroo that the writer has to do to make you think that you're getting a real story, and and that's the other thing. Like Brazil's art gives the game away too early, but the fact that that like there's so many stories with Wagner where if nothing else. Like you kind of get people meeting at headquarters and explaining the rules kind of thing you know it's usually mm-hmm. the dread crosses his arms scene and so you kind of get this thing of like oh these are what the rules are this is what the what this is what the mutant's doing like you can look in dread versus predator for example and see where those places are very specifically laid out and because wagner does that sort of thing of like oh now it's a phantomagoria this reality changing mutant is going to you know fuck up dread's world you and anderson gets involved and there's levels of like what's happening is it really happening and 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 i just it's just it doesn't you're like it doesn't matter because there's no there's just no grounding there there's just and yeah, again exactly. part you of that you don't art. believe it yeah you just don't you just don't whereas for example something like spooks which has a certain is this real is this not quality i I thought worked really well for what it does um and where it ends up so spooks basically plays the same trick but in reverse yes right Mm -hmm. so in the year 2120 is something is happening according to the point of view of the character is it real or not right Right. and Mm -hmm. spooks does the same thing but yeah. the character's not red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, but right. Spooks, mm-hmm. I believed the thing that wasn't happening was happening more exactly. than I did in your century. Because Callum Watt, the artist, sells it better. It's not fantastic. It seems plausible in a way that... Uh, also, uh, you know, Wagner's setup yeah. in terms of writing feels more plausible as well. Well, it feels more plausible, but how do I put it? Like, the, the, the trick that is he... He plays by the rules to set up one kind of narrative, right? And and does it in a way that is satisfying. So you see this, and like one of the things that really works with spooks is you 
have this guy who's convinced that he has seen an it has smelled an alien shape changer that you know he more or less had half of his life destroyed to on a war on another planet and um basically recovers and ba- everyone tells him like you're crazy and then he's like wait no I'm not crazy and there's an invasion how deep does it go and you see more scenes of him finding aliens killing aliens and then just when you kind of get a certain amount of like is he crazy or not he gets he sort of he gets the band back together you get the guys the other people in his squad who are how do I put it like well-adjusted people for the most part or sort of semi-damaged veterans but all of them inherently believe and trust this guy and are like shit right we should have known this was going to happen and so if every level of it leads to a certain degree of oh i know the narrative that i'm getting and the narrative is secret invasion and the only people who know it are the people who nobody will believe or trust right and then you know and then wagner makes really good hay with that and like you said part of that is the artist does a great job of selling it and again i think there's something to be said by his art style unlike jason brazil's is really um quote-unquote realistic it's really representational he he sells it by underselling it exactly yeah brazil's Brazil's style is exaggerated, over the top, very, um, you know, like I said, almost Sam Keith-esque, yeah. right? He, he's playing with the, almost like a fisheye lens at certain times. Mm-hmm. His characters are exaggerated. His characters are cartoonish yeah. in a way that Callum Watts aren't. But Callum Watts' art is so understated and so just straightforward. Mm-hmm that it sells the idea of this being a secret invasion right? in a way like in the year 2120 just doesn't sell the idea of something weird is going on because everything seems weird. Right. And I even wonder if part of the reason why is as experienced judge dread readers, the art looks like a cue that this is going to be like, if it's, if it's not going to be an immediate kind of over-the-top spoof, that it's going to be a story that you take at face value, right? It's kind of one of those face value artists, I guess, you know? And so there's all these cues that work super well for the twist in the ending. And it's just, it really works and doesn't, doesn't really require much. It's a little weird because, of course, it does have a Mrs. Gunderson punchline that I'm kind of like is a weird way to wrap things up. But you know, I you know again in that weird kind of like I'm like John Wagner so clearly knows what he's doing. So why is he doing this kind of thing? You know, well, is he not doing that to reintroduce Mrs. Gunderson? Because it, it's just like a story ahead of of the Mrs. Gunderson's Little Adventure serial. Uh, I mean, probably. Probably. I mean, one could say that Mrs. Mrs. Gunderson has appeared before, and Mrs. Gunderson's uh, Little Adventure does a pretty good job of reintroducing... Of, of, yeah, of, of making sure you know who, who she is. Exactly. I know, I, but I was just wondering if, if that was it. If I mean, it was just like, oh, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm planning on using her in a, in a little bit. I'll just remind people she exists. Yes, right. Could I mean? Also, Wagner just likes the joke. Oh, he does. He clearly loves that joke. Like I, that I think is... he, I think he just thinks that Mrs. Gunderson is like a great joke. Yeah, that she's you know completely clueless, well-meaning old bitty body. Absolutely, that she. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think that he's. I think he just likes that. He's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I but... like her. Sure. Well, yeah. well, sure, but by the same token, it's kind of, I mean, you know, like, there's not there's not a lot of levels of genres slash medium slash characters IP or whatever, what have you, that would end with the way that it ends and then get some comical laughs out of, you know... Oh, here, here's the Mister Magoo character who's missed out on everything. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's something that's just a little odd to have that. Like, if you saw that at the end of an episode of, like, say, Hill Street Blues or something. You know what I mean? Which what, what's really interesting is like, I I see what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I also thought that Spooks had a level of humor in it, even when it turns into. This delusional guy is just downright slaughtering people. Okay, well, you, I was trying to cover up the twist. But yes, absolutely, that is the when twist. When has that and stopped it, us before? Come on. Yeah, I know. When has it stopped you before, Graham? I mean, <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> no, I've certainly participated in that, but you... You know, 25 years old. Yeah, I know. It is true. That, But yes, I mean, there is something that is darkly humorous. Um in a tragic way and a way that's played for dark humor. And it would be sort of one thing if you got a, a further darkly humorous twist, but that's just to me kind of Wagner's thing. And maybe it's a little bit of something that we're used to expecting in dread kind of like moments of, you know, dark humor slash really kind of depressing fucked upness followed by a, a bit of vaudeville slapstick and like i i guess i guess that is a thing but like yeah, i really I, had that, that moment that of feels like dread right am i learning that that like that feels like it's very close to the dna of dread uh it's close to it but it also feels like a bit of a mutation because to me it, it used yeah, to be I, I, that's yeah that's yeah. a good point that okay. you get such extremes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just so close to each other. Like, you get, to me, a little bit more of a distance or a little bit of a, you know, that sort of thing. Like, story to story, maybe page to page. But, like, literally on the same page, you know, as a dude dying, the Legion of the Damned all dying, everyone dead, and and literally dread saying, you're too late were all too damn late. And then it almost feels like he had f- four panels left on the page and was kind of like, uh, I gotta, should I go for the full pager? No, I, we don't have enough room for a full, full page of Dread saying it's late, it's too damn late. Well, you know, maybe we're, yeah, I'll throw in Mrs. Gunderson. Like, to me, it just sort of feels like, like you said, it it's it's not, it's not, it's not that off. But it's off enough. Like, part of me is like, Graham, I think I've flowered into my full form as a Judge Dredd fanboy. I'm like, I'm actually <laughs> sitting there telling 
yeah, John Wagner doesn't know how to write dread. Like it's yeah. finally happened. I, I, yeah, I, I, fi- I finally made it. I'm saying that John Wagner doesn't understand dread. <laughs> okay, the, the second story I said I wanted to talk about two stories is Spawny, and I'm really curious what you made of Spawny. What did I make of Spawny? Um... Spawny is this, for it, in case you've forgotten which one Spawny is, because the title is not particularly descriptive. It's true. The one about the new block being yeah. built, mm-hmm. and there's a protester that is is threatening to to slow down the works. Mm-hmm. And Tread more or less is just like fuck them. Right, right. Um... Uh, and it's a two parter because there is a twist in the tale, but it's there's something. I don't know. There's there's something wonderfully blunt about the story for me that is honestly kind of ruined by the twist. Yes, but there there's something that is almost impressively heartless about the idea, especially at one point where they're like, you know, he's so close to the top, but he's not going to make it in time. We'll we'll postpone. And Dre's like, no, yeah, you'll start building in time. Yeah, like he's not the protester's not going to do shit. Right. That felt. Really impressively, like, oh, that's right, Dredd's the bad guy. Right, right. And I think, so the thing about Spawny is um, Peter Doherty's art is, I think, great on it. Really enjoyable. Like, I don't, it felt, um, yeah. Uh, And it's, you know, like you said, it's a, I guess it's just a two-part story. So it really, really does what it's going to do. Um, and ha- it's got that great hook, like dread, basically the protester that has buried themselves in the ground and is breathing through a hole, like he backfilled the entrance tunnel and has a breathing tube, um, and is more or less, uh, you know, down there as a form of protest and dreads just like, you know what, you've got until midnight to dig yourself out. Good luck. And and he orders everyone to begin. I guess the thing that I find interesting is the last page of Spawny, which is essentially, as we've we've seen from time to time, um, more or less through a little bit of ledger domain, uh, Dread manages to evacuate the protester when no one can see, and so the heartlessness of the him basically him saying like yeah he's he's just got five meters we should postpone and dread's like no and makes an example of this guy and the last page twist is essentially that he and his girlfriend are i think what being given new identities in the iso cube so like nobody knows that he actually survived or you know by the time they get out like it'll be too late everyone will have been obedient in in other words the twist being that dread is more than happy to be seen as a bastard but but ultimately isn't a bastard is i would say that spawny not unlike holiday special and we haven't discussed it but i hope shall the oj story in the magazine have a very weird like if if it's it's Wagner because you don't think that Wagner is ever going to fully forget and or exploit that dread can be the bad guy can be the bastard can be the sign that that 
that basically things have made a wrong turn somewhere. Um, that even though he's the best example of things, the system is fucked up and wrong. And you used to get more of that. Again, I mentioned the, you know, Apocalypse War, which is this amazing moment where Dread pushes the button and kills billions of people in retro, it, because it's war and it's, it's also retribution. And it's also, you know, he, he passes judgment. And, and I think that the end of Spani feels a little bit like, oh, Judge Dredd, he's got the heart of gold cliche that the, the, the looks like a bastard, but actually has the heart of gold inside cliche that Wagner and Grant did such a good job at, at kicking against for, you know, a decade plus. You know what I mean? Is that is that? Do you think I'm wrong in that, or do you think that that? I don't. Well, I think it's weirdly more complicated, right? Because I am, I am unhappy with the last page, basically walk back mm-hmm. of the brutality of of spawning to that point. Right. Right. The reveal of dread isn't that bastard. He he got the guy out. Right. But I don't think it's as simple as he's got a heart of gold, because. He got him out in secret and is perfectly happy to engage in the theater that he killed him. Yeah, but that's, I mean, how do I put it? That story that from a couple of volumes back where it's Dread and the old man and it's the the, the old man's wife has to be... The, the, yeah, bur- bury my knee at Wounded Heart. Yeah, bury my knee at Wounded Heart, where... I think to me as a much better version of having it both ways in the sense of dread, literally like a coward says to the old man, like, no, this is being done and literally does a, I'm just following orders, you know, and then manages to sort of redeem himself by the end of the story works better. That to me is dread is complicated. This to me is, a little closer to yeah Wagner becoming sentimental but also kind of reaching that stage of like this volume is kind of the age where Wagner feels old enough that he has become quote unquote the man you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. his goals are society's goals society's goals are his goals the weirdly strange like satirical veneer that seems to cover genuine outrage over the O.J. Simpson verdict just ends up reinforcing a certain level of siding with the law that feels um weird it feels it feels weird in that you used to be a wagner is so capable you know has done before i'm sure will do again but here in this volume for the most part does not capture that thing of separating out what you suspect john wagner's feelings are and what dread's feelings are you know what i mean they seem very intertwined here as the same thing the oj simpson story is it's very much an example of uh, Wagner and Dread becoming one, right? In a way that I think Spawny yeah. is. Right? Mm-hmm. Spawny feels more like 
Dread is a straw man? Hmm. hmm. In, in a way, like, you know, Wagner is making a point about, you know, the 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 man standing against the, the protester, but then he pulls it back at the end. Because he's like, but Dredd is an honorable man. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so much of the OJ story is Dredd is an honorable man, right? And that he he's one who sees justice be done. But it's also, the OJ story very clearly feels like John Wagner is like, well, that verdict's fucking bullshit. Right. Yeah, very and, much so. And my guy would mm-hmm. get him. <laughs> well, but yeah. But the, the OJ story is also... What do you think about the arts in the OJ story? Uh, like last panel with OJ looking at the reader with like like red eyes. Yeah, with like all but blood in his eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Is nope. mm-hmm. is is a choice? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what the fuck? It's so funny because I think Alex Ronalds are before that has been relatively good. Mm-hmm. Right, there's some stuff where he does like a really nice dread, like the 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 panel of dread's face in the first page. I think is great. Yeah, I like seeing you know his his dread for the most part. There's there's every time he shows dread's profile, it's really funny because I think he's forgotten dread has a nose. Yes, uh, but otherwise, you know, I think he does a really nice job. But that like that shot of OJ at the end is 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 weird. <laughs> like it's, it's genuinely strange to me. Because it feels like the, the description is, O.J. is the devil. Yeah. Let's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, again, like, I feel from that time, I remember there were plenty of white people who were outraged about it. Just absolutely outraged by, you know, O.J. getting away with what clearly seemed to be you I mean, know, murder. murder. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the fact that there is a close-up panel with with Dread saying, "But not if I can help it. I have a date to come with you, OJ, and when it happens, I'll show you. No one is above the law." And then in the bottom, it says the end with a question mark. And so again, there's a way for me that this O.J. story could be a really interesting story about things. <laughs> because, let's put it this way, I feel that that, that there are components that um, come into place. Like, I definitely feel one of the things that I didn't know until horrifically recently... Um, post black lives matter is how much the police in the United States really grew out as an outcropping of black suppression of, you know, hunting down slaves of making sure that, that runaway slaves were caught and returned that, that there were no uprisings. They helped, they helped quell, you know, slave uprisings that is kind of embedded in the nature of the police process here. And there's a way in which an OJ story in which dread as a white, as a, as a signifier of the white police sees OJ as an incredible, 
incredible um, uh, a, a vision of what is, you know, all, all but natural law. You know, no one is above the law. Like when the law gets embellished into, you know, the history, that history of of white supremacy being tied to the police, it it kind of like, oh, it makes more sense. But that that is clearly not how it's being presented here. And of course, one of the things that really sucks is, you know, for people of a certain age, it was like. O.J. Simpson wasn't the first person in America to get away with murder. He might have been the first black person to get away with murder, you know. Mm -hmm. But that, in a weird way, sort of, to me, said something about, you know, the weird America getting to be a place where finally a black rich man was able to abuse the law as successfully as a white rich man. You know what I mean? Like, I was kind of like, it's kind of a step forward in a dark sort of way, you know? And, and again, there's not, to me, there's no sense. It just feels like, it feels like a knee jerk reaction from Wagner, which is really interesting because as someone, me personally, having read the Jeffrey Tubin's book on OJ Simpson, that he wrote back in the nineties about the trial of OJ Simpson. Um, I was like, yeah, Wagner clearly was paying attention to this case. Like he's got a lot of the facts really nailed down. Like he either did his research or he followed the case closely, you know, to the point where I'm sort of surprised that one of the things that, for example, Tubin's book talks about is that, part of how OJ was able to slip out of the net in a way was because the LAPD were weirdly too overly cautious about him because he was a celebrity and because they were worried about the optics Mm -hmm. of, you know, oppressing a black celebrity, you know, separate and apart from other stuff that's tied very closely to OJ as a football hero and a very specific football hero from Southern California that allowed him to have extra levels of celebrity in the area that he did, you know, anyway, it's all, it's all this kind of really layered thing in a way that part of me is like, man, I kind of hope that like part of me would love to see Wagner do a follow-up to the OJ story yeah, I, I have to admit, I was like, is there a follow-up, or is this, did he literally just move? Yeah. Did he just forget about this and move on? Right, right. Yeah. I, I would be, I would be, like you, I would be genuinely interested to see if he does a follow-up, and, and see what that follow-up is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, how does he square that circle? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And you know, the thing that is really weird is the very next story is a story about mercy, sort of for, I don't know, it, it's weird. I feel like the story that follows is like a very weird story to follow a story in which you 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 know you essentially demonize a black man and then you follow it up with a story of you know person from a 
bad home in a bad neighborhood manages to transcend his um his horrible situation and he's and he's literally white right down to his hair you know it's yeah. kind of like yeah. ugh, ugh. so i mean it's it it is oj i felt i hope you don't mind me talking about it, but it was something where i was like that's a really weird story and again like a couple of other places like holiday special and kind of the end of Spani, i sort of feel like um you know the days of this is the first time where i really kind of felt like oh you know alan grant this wouldn't this wouldn't have happened if alan grant was you know hanging out with him and you know if they weren't writing together at least they you, were you, watching you think the same there, bad there would movies. be less there would be less earnestness yeah less less earnestness there would be less of the like judge dread says smoking is bad kids yeah i i, I don't know i mean think of some of the alan grant stories we've seen since they're split but I, you know we'll see that's it also yeah. think about what grant was writing in batman at the same as well i think we might have seen more of it to be honest uh i i would keep i would separate spawning like the og story and, and holiday uh the holiday story as well and spawning's like i said i don't i don't like that that walk back on the last page mm-hmm. but I, it's, I think it's something other than he's not that bad i think it's a he's a different flavor of that bad i mean i i, I suppose that's probably Weird, true because because for me the end of spawny shows the dread is uh, again this is different from both the way that wagner's done dread in the past but mm-hmm. it shows that dread is playing the game dread is suddenly interested in optics in a way that he wasn't before Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. I'm not, you know, that, that, I, that is, is, again, I wish, I wish that last page hadn't existed, to be honest. I, what, I wish that he had, it had just been left as, for whatever better way of putting it, like, sure, Dread killed this kid. Well, I, I think for me, one of the things that might help with Spawny, in a way, is, is that the, the rest of the volume of Dread is been, is, up to that point, is, very satirical um for the most part or heavily in the satire it, or over the top especially the, the 2080 episodes are very much comedy dread to my yeah. mind yeah i think so too by and large they are comedy dread with with very few exceptions and so spawny actually does feel like a way in which maybe if it had been drawn by somebody a bit differently it it would have it it would have landed differently. Like uh, I, I think that I feel that there is a satir- obviously a satirical point with um, Spawny really early on that m- kind of makes the idea that you're going to end with Dread literally pouring concrete on the guy, um, kind of like it would kind of just not seem like a good ending. It wouldn't seem earned. It would seem atonally inconsistent in sort of the same way that I felt Mrs. Gunderson popping up at the end of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of that Legion story, Legion of the Dam story, you know, it's sort of, and maybe Doherty's art with it sort of beautifully, almost David Mazzuchelli, Batman year one muted colors, you know, kind of seems like a more serious episode than it is like told very seriously with lots of, looks of horrified people as Spawn tells, that's Spawn, as Dread tells people, like, 
you know, start, like begin, start pouring the, well, whatever it is. I guess he's, they're destroying the old, old stuff before they start pouring the rock, rock creep. But like it all becomes this sort of race against time. But the idea of instead of it getting the person out of the hole that they have actually condemned him to get himself out of the hole or be buried is darkly humorous, right? Like it's a, it's a humorous twist on things. Um, it's just played very straight. And so I, I think there's a good case to be made that sort of in the same way with a slightly different artist, that last page walk back would actually feel like an extension of the underlying farce that the whole story is supposed to supposed to play down. But I think it's to sort of Doherty's credit as a straight artist and kind of what we know of Dredd that you're kind of like, he, he could do it. Dredd could bury yeah. this guy in Rock Creek yeah. and, yeah. and that like more to the point, like Wagner could do that with Dredd and we, we wouldn't feel surprised entirely. You know what I mean? Like we would have a, like other than, Oh gee, I kind of thought there would be the last page reveal that you'd see the person in prison and blah, blah, blah. In other words, exactly the kind of, exactly, exactly. Cause, yeah. Cause you know, there, I, I, I do. I wish it had happened. There hadn't been the walk back, even though I think the walk back again, tries to have his cake and eat it. By making yes. it complicit in in a different mm-hmm. con, mm-hmm. for honor, better way, like in a different scheme. Yeah, uh, I still wish it had, we hadn't had the walk back. I wish mm-hmm. it just been like, yeah, Dread fucking killed the guy. Yeah, you know. But again, there's some weirdly like the story that immediately follows Spawny, Bo Peeper, which I like, which I I really do like, is about a kid who more or less turns himself into a peeping master, an informant mastermind for the judges and at the end of it all of the various blocks that he's spying on crime riddled blocks catch on that it's him break into the building and and literally figure that it's his parents and kill his parents like his parents die in a way that is um sort of comically over the top and downright brutal. And at the end of the story, the kid is basically uses the money from losing his parents to correct his mistake and become a long distance peeper and informant. Like maybe I'm after, after telling John Wagner that he's, you know, doing it wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the one who's wrong, and that 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 rather that Wagner's humor is ultra dark in a lot of this, in a way that just sort of he's like, yeah, people die, and then what's hilarious is you bring in the blind old Miss Mr. Magoo like lady, and she's missed it all. Isn't that hilarious? As people bleed out in front of her, she still thinks that there's going to be an encore for the show love it you know what i mean like maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe wagner is just way darker than i thought the only way to be happy mega city one is to not know what's happening yeah right exactly exactly <laughs> which you know if you think about it is shockingly dark i i do want to move on to to 
the Predator Dread strip. But I, I want to say, like, I feel like we've talked a lot about stories here that don't work for us, which is a shame because I think a lot of this does work for me. Like I said, across the board, I think there's a level of quality that is higher. Uh, than oh, yeah. Agreed. Uh, I think Bo Peeper is a great story. Yeah. I like Bonnie. Uh, despite yep. the, the thing. I like Spooks. Um, I, I thought Missing was a surprisingly good multi-part story, even though I don't like the art at all. Yes, I think, I think Sullivan's art is not good in that story, but I like the story. Yeah, uh, it feels weirdly, almost old-fashioned in how self-contained and gimmicky it is. Mm-hmm. But I really liked it. I thought it was a really fun story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just very happy to see uh, Demarco back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I, I think that paid well, paid off well. I think the OJ story in the magazine uh, is, despite that it does feel like, you know, it was written by Wagner the day after the verdict going, well, fuck OJ. Um, I think, I think it's a, it's a good story. I think I liked, I liked it. I enjoyed Mm. it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the one that follows, like you said, is, is an odd follow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also like that story. I also like the yeah. art. Steve Tappen is not a name that, that Steve is Steve Tappen, yeah. yeah. But Agreed. I thought the art for that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to the Predator story. <laughs> the Predator story. And, and, well, that's, you know, that's a story that takes up a lot of pages. <laughs> so before we get there, and I think that's a good point, let me just say that, yes, even Holiday Special where I'm like, ah, I liked. I liked fast food. I love spooks. A Walk on Gang Alley I thought was excellent. Mrs. Gunderson's Little Adventure, Attack of the Sex Craze Love Spa, Dove Dolls, Spawny, Bo Peeper, um, you know, uh, Escape from Old New York Street. Like, bum, bum Rap is okay. Like, it's probably the least. And part of it is, like, I, I don't know what happened with Ian Gibson. I feel like he, he wanted to go with a pastel colored pencil approach for it that on top of like Ian Gibson's work is either cartooning genius or just crazily like almost um, criminally dashed off and I can't Mm -hmm. decide which you know the story of jeans (laughs) is like fine like to me the only thing that really craps poops the bed is in the year 2120 uh, OJ and and uh, dread versus predator. Those are those are really the I, only I, I ones. I'm honestly like OJ is better than those other two. I will agree that in the year 2120 craps the bed, and I'll agree that the predator does. Yeah, and even then, like there's stuff that I enjoy about both of them. I mm-hmm. think OJ is. I, I do think OJ is significantly better than either. Um, okay, let's talk about the predator story, shall we? Sure, sure. Jeff. Okay, first of all, do you like the predator films? Well, so because um, I don't, I... and I I wonder right. if that's one of the, not that I dislike them, I just don't like them. But I wonder how much of that is responsible for the fact that this is just a mess. So i I think that I think that Predator, the first Predator movie, is one of the best movies of the eighties. That being said, I think that. Everything that makes Predator a great movie, in its way, has very little to do with Predator. I never saw Predator 2, um, because as much as excited as I was about the idea of like, oh, it's Danny Glover, I also kind of had a little bit of a like, oh, this is already missing the plot. 
And, and, and since then, I think it is safe to say I have had a, a deep and abiding indifference to predator. Un, unlike, um, alien, the other great, the other work to death, dark horse, uh, yeah, yeah. comic licensing, um, from a, a movie. I, I don't, I just, there's nothing that ever seems really that great in well, yeah, the concept of the predator. Yeah. That's kind of my problem with it. Yeah. That there's not like, there doesn't seem to be enough there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's really obvious in this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the, this could be any generic alien versus judge dread. And it could be exactly the same comic. It might even be a better comic. Well, see, that's it. This was, I was mentioning earlier, like the first two years in, in the magazine, they had that crazily successful story that I hated because I hated the art that was dread versus an alien hunter that was invincible and unstoppable and honestly, that was a better version of this. And that's the cheap knockoff, you know? And so I think there's a lot of things. Like, part of me is really tempted to say there's a lot of things that make the first Predator a really good movie. And interestingly enough, I think is a, is something that could have made for a great Judge Dread Predator crossover, which is the... Predator movie is an Arnold Schwarzenegger action film for basically the what seems like the first half. Uh, Schwarzenegger playing a character, Dutch Schaefer, and his group of top commando dudes are um, go into a Latin American country to do a thing that I don't even remember. I think it's maybe like kill a dude. And proceed to essentially just mow down dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, Latin American guerrillas. And and at a certain point, something begins hunting them. One of the things that I really like about that idea and that execution is first the whole like, oh, you think you're watching one movie, but it becomes another movie. Um, but also retains the elements like Schwarzenegger still manages to remain Schwarzenegger in a movie. And part of what helps is he's surrounded by a bunch of other eighties action movie cliches that more or less get completely killed off and brutalized subliminally. What's running through that first predator movie that sort of makes it a little resonant, I think is the idea that in the same way that superior American firepower is more or less making horrific mincemeat out of um, a bunch of gorillas in a far-flung country, the Predator shows up and is so much more technologically advanced than the American commando types that he slaughters them. And so there would, I think part of the way that judge dread versus predators might've worked is if you really played up the, 
the judges are are the bad guys and then essentially run afoul of worse guys. Like, Commando doesn't play it that way, but that is a reading, and it's a reading that I feel deeply kind of informs the movie. And like I said, I have a deep indifference to the, the character every time that I've picked it up. They just seem to make it seem like, ooh, Predator's cool, but Alien's cool. Which one's more cool, but here's the Predator <laughs> being cool. Like, And there's always kind of this thing of like, he's a hunter, but he's got a code of honor. And I'm like, he didn't have a code of honor in the first movie. He was basically, you know, kind of a drunk um, hunter with superior technology, you know, more or less... So, so he you was get just the, like a better hunter. Yeah, he was just he was just had better tech. He had better tech, and he had stuff that like that came with his culture that made it easier for him to roll over this culture. And part of me is like, that's within the context of this war movie angle, particularly the very eighties war on El Salvador kind of angle to it. It it was a little subversive and that could be subversive in the way of dread of like, if you show the, the judges as kind of being out of control pricks as Wagner has shown them being before in the past and essentially not being such great gatekeepers and upholders of the American promise of law and order. And then essentially you get the predator who is another form of, you know, that vastly outstrips them the way the judges outstrip the citizenry. Then you get something that's to me potentially kind of interesting, but this is, you know, to put it mildly, not that you kind of have, this is, this is the most generic version of the story. Yep. There, there, there is, again, this doesn't have to be Predator. But for that matter, it doesn't really have to be Judge Dredd either. Right. Well, like, this this is this is like tough guy versus tough guy. Right. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird, and there's bits of it that are weird in different directions. For example, one of the characters is the, answer, is the descendant of yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in the film. Yeah. For no reason. Well... I mean, there's a reason, but I mean, one of the things, so there's a whole bunch of things of like, this is being brand, and by the way, that reason I think is Dark Horse's licensing kind of insisted on it. And yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, okay, for no narrative reason. Like it yeah. feels, it feels out of nowhere in the story. Yes, no, com- like there, there are cynical reasons, sure. Yeah, there. Well, see, and that's it. There are cynical reasons a go go. One of the things that I thought was funny, I mentioned the way in which this volume is a bad volume to hand hand to um, somebody who would be a new Judge Dread reader, and that includes Dread versus Predator, is. If you're reading it as a dread story and you've read a lot of dread stories, you understand kind of what's sort of what makes dread exceptional. But there is a very understandable choice, although it may not be a particularly smart one, where the predator comes to Earth and begins hunting judges, not 
a judge, which is to say Judge Dredd, but hunting judges. This sort of makes sense. And again, like the first Predator movie, there's a certain amount of that allows it to have a lot of cool slaughtery massacre scenes, which... Yeah, exactly. Yes, it allows the body count. Yeah, it it allows for a good high body count, which people want and expect in their Predator story and whatever, fine. But the flip side of that is if you're reading this for the first time, like this is your first Judge Dredd comic, there are dozens of judges that are dressed exactly (laughs) like Dredd and do exactly the same thing that Dredd does and don't really seem to do it any better or worse than he does. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, Dredd doesn't stand out. And so... So there is something where I feel like if this was your first exposure to Dread, again, you have a weird feeling of like, oh, this is exactly what I, I was why I wasn't interested in Dread. He just seems like a generic policeman of the future, you know, in which the generic police have really cool uniforms, you know. And there's pieces where, like, there's three judges that are introduced at the beginning, like, what is it, Tarka, Sola, and, um, I don't know, Bibbenbop? I don't know. And then they, Dread mentions them, and you see them sort of get killed or or not, and I'm like, oh, these, these should be the characters you're supposed to care about. And part of me even kind of had the desperate wish of, like, if these were the characters, like a couple of the characters from the pit, you know, or like, like God forbid the dread sacrifice DeMarco to predator, then there's a little bit of a thing of like, as a dread reader, you're like, Oh, Holy shit. Like even, even it matters. Yeah, exactly. But the fact that even like Dutch Schaefer's granddaughter feels like off brand judge Anderson, um, in the way that she's sort of drawn and portrayed and stuff, it just, it just feels like, it feels like a story that means nothing to a Judge Dread reader, and understandably so, but I think also makes an incomprehensible, like, introduction to the character, which, which is to say that his charms seem incomprehensible. There's some nice moments in Dread, and I, in Dread versus Predator, and I, I like the art, but like just the fact that when you get to the final end, um, if, okay, you may find this pedantic bitching, but I think that this so narrows down this the the problem with Predator v Dread is you have a scene where um the predator has cornered another judge and picks up the judge's gun and the judge is like oh yeah that's right shoot me go ahead just pull the pull the trigger make it quick shoot me and it of course undoes the gun and finds the booby trap and yes and is even it's commented on like oh man it's smart now that is very predatory. One of the things about it is it's it's not just a killing machine that it thinks, that it plans, that it hunts. You get to the final scene where it takes out a bunch of um, Judge Mechs. Dread, who is now 
admirably shirtless is like shooting the predator but it's still not dead it starts stabbing him dread's got the boot knife and then at the end of it well actually before he stabs it with the boot knife the predator picks up the gun pulls the trigger blows his own hand off which is weirdly telegraphed by the fact that you're like okay why did he do that our psychic helpfully explains he knew it was booby trapped maybe because it was sick dying its pain was so great it wanted to die and dread says so it took on one final challenge one it knew it couldn't win thanks and schaefer says you should be honored and part of me is like should dread like essentially the predator decides that what it's looking at is such weak sauce that it has to <laughs> blow off his own hand and fatally injure itself for dread to kill it like it's kind of deeply patronizing you know like i think dread would be a bit offended not honored in any way whatsoever and i kind of had that moment of once i realized that i'm like what is john wagner doing like you know just kind of at a, at a basic core i'm like yeah that that last page is not what he thinks it's not what he constructed the rest of it to show and then because he's on autopilot and we're on autopilot or else wagner's working at a level of you know um darkly humorous judge dread shit posting that he's like yep and that's the end like i'm like that's really unsatisfying like you underlined how unsatisfying it is and then more or less dare us to be paying enough attention to notice that. And oh, the the ending is is genuinely impressively out of nowhere. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember reading it, going, "Wait, <laughs> that that's it?" Yeah, totally. Like expecting it, expecting there to be a twist. Yeah. Yep. You know, because yeah. it ends with with that, and then it cuts to the dead predator surrounded by flames. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then like he wakes up or something well one of the let me just say that in case anyone's interested i honestly think the predator that as presented in the game bro force is a far better representation than what we see in dread versus predator (laughs) and i'll tell you one of the reasons why is when you play as the predator character is one of the bro force things and you die he self-destructs and blows up and takes everyone with him which is one of the big things about the predator would go out but but that is how a predator goes out graham he's got a self-destruct thing on his wrist i I know, I just, I do, I just like the, like, that, this predator goes out like a wuss. Like a total wuss! First he blows off his own hand, then he, then he, this is, st- like, takes apart his own self-destruct thing, and is like, dreads like, you should be honored. I'm like, you fought the sickest, weakest predator, he had, like, fucking terminal cancer, and it's not enough, he has to sabotage himself. Like, part of me is like, I guess that makes the Dark Horse people feel better about themselves or something. But, you know, it's very much that idea of the Stanley, like, oh, when two heroes fight, like, you know, the one that loses has to more or less throw the fight or is already weakened or is sick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, part of me can't have your favorite be a loser. Exactly. And so there's kind of that thing of like, oh, but if there was a rematch, like what if he fought a healthy predator? What if he fought a predator that didn't blow off his own hand? Like, but instead it's just like it's just not a good showing. Like it's kind of a comically bad showing. Like <laughs> Predator versus Dread, who wins? Not the audience. And for that matter, <laughs> <laughs> not the people creating it. Like, there's no, nobody. It, like, I would. A, it's a really poor showing yeah. for Wagner. And, uh, who who is it that draws it? Oh, uh, Alcatina, whose whose art yeah, is, is, I think, pretty nice. You know, but oh, I, I think I think his art is um, is not right for this at all. I don't think he draws a good predator or a good judge. Uh, his predator's okay. I think his dread is mostly acceptable. I I don't know. I I see your point. I don't think I necessarily agree, but but part of me is like, there's no... I mean, to me, it's a lose-lose situation, uh, as I worried that it might be. But I am shocked by the number of people who pick who would pick up Predator versus Judge Dredd. Being a fan of one and put down the book being a fan of neither is, I think... Um, it's a sizable percentage, I have to say. I could see <laughs> it. It is. It's funny. Do you remember all the other uh, crossovers? Because there was a bunch of DC crossovers. Yes, in the nineties as well. So yeah. there's all the Batman ones. There's also a Lobo one. Mm -hmm. Have you ever read Dread Lobo? No. No, that uh, would be kind of interesting. Sorry, I thought you meant Predator Lobo. Uh huh. No, no, no. I no. I was meaning Dread. Right. Like written by Alan Grant and I think John Wagner as well. And it, it and like this, it does neither of the main characters any favors. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's a shame because it's, it's sort of like the effect. ultimate lawman versus the ultimate outlaw. You would think it would be at least fun. Like, you know. It's fun enough. I mean, again, I like the Batman v. Dread stuff. I like I like those crossovers well enough, yeah, honestly. I, but, well, some of them. The second one's... The second one no. sucks, Luke, but I kind of like the lovely, third one. But yeah, the second one looks lovely, but uh, but is is not particularly like is clearly written as a villain. And oh, it's amazing! That's the one where it's like Batman versus Dread, and like they're punching it out on a train, or it's basically a big fist fight. And then at the end, it's revealed the secret for it being a big fist fight is like the world's lamest Deus Ex Machina. Is that what it is? Yes, and it's because the actual scheduled one was late and. The third yes. one was written, the second one. Yeah. yeah. And so the second one ends with them being like, and then we'll meet again someday. That's <laughs> <laughs> whenever they fucking finish the art. No, but the, the Lobo one also doesn't really... Like, it, it, there's a weird thing in the 90s where, like, Dread is crossing over into other comics. And it's never great. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It, there is, like, a good five or six years at least hence from this point um an alien dread story i have to admit people things mm -hmm. uh, it's great see i kind of had that thing because when i finish this up i'm like okay admittedly predator kind of sucks like part of me is like i sort of want to see dread versus alien and and kind of had that horrible moment of like, oh shit, am I a bad reader? Did we already encounter that, or is that in the past? No, no, but it's still no, no, coming it's up. In, yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's because it, it's co-written by Andy Diggle, so we're we're a few years away. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's so, Wagner and Andy drawn by Henry Flint, and it's it's ooh. it is uh, Henry Flint does really good aliens to the point mm -hmm. where I'm like, why did Dark Horse and just hire Henry Flint to do lots of alien stuff because he does really good alien stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of me is like, I sort of like the aliens premise more. I like the alien characters more. Although, again, there's also to me a certain problem. Like, with Predator and Alien, like, part of me feels like the Dread crossover makes sense in that you can have a high body count that you kind of can't quite get away with the same way as when you cross over Superman with Alien. You know what I mean? Sure, like you're, yeah, yeah. No chest, you know, Jimmy Olsen's chest is never going to burst open, you know, but, um, or Alien in the negative zone where it can't in the Phantom oh, Zone. Yeah, the, where the Phantom Zone. Sorry, someone else commented, I think, when we were when we did our uh, Baxter building, return to Baxter building, we kept calling the negative zone the Phantom Zone the whole time, apparently. So, sorry, everyone. That's, well, we, we know what we like. Yes, we do. <laughs> we sure do. Hey, so, Graham, do we, is there anything else we need to talk about? Drock or Dross, and we should pick our favorite and least favorite stories. Uh, okay, so, uh, Drock for me. You've already said it's Drock. It's Drock yep. for me as well. Yeah. Uh, there is, like, even with the ones we don't like, which for some reason we spent most of the time talking about, which is genuinely weird to me. Um, <laughs> I picked I, apart I do, like, stories I, I, I like. sped through this. I just yep. enjoyed this volume a lot. Yep. Even the stories that don't work, work better than, than previous volumes. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there is just, like, this baseline of, like, well, this, these are fun comics. Very you high know? quality volume. Great volume. But yeah. Part of it is that there is so much comedy dread. Yeah. And I think it's, honestly, I think it's just kind of easier to go along with comedy dread sometimes. It helps when comedy dread is good comedy. And for the most part, most of the comedy here I thought was good. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of, oh, this is really tell- relatively funny or relatively clever. Or even if it leans into the stupid, it does it with a twist, you know? Yeah. Or, or at least it does it knowingly, you know, because mm-hmm. honestly, like fast food is kind of a dumb story, but it's it's a fun dumb story. Yeah. Very much so. No, and even things like, like I said, yeah, I think fast food drags, I think in the year 2120 drags, uh, they're still enjoyable. They never completely outstay their welcome. You're, yeah. you, you can get tired of them, but you're never like, just please fucking end. With the exception of Predator, which really is <laughs> just yeah. a, a, a disaster. Uh, Predator is easily my vote for the worst of the stories. Uh, my vote for the best of the stories. Oh, shit. I don't know. There's a it lot of good be, ones in here, yeah. It so might they... be Bo Peeper. Oh, nice. Uh, it, or it might be um, Missing. Missing, really? we should say. It's a multi- we've talk- I've talked about this a bunch and I've not actually said anything about it. Missing is a multi-part story, which is literally Judge Dredd is missing because he's been kidnapped by someone and the other judges are looking for him. Dredd is in jail along with lots of wacky characters and yet it it works. Well, in A, what helps it to me is that it is an unexpected um, callback because one of the previous, uh, maybe just last volume, if not two volumes, had the story of the man who became uh, human furniture um, and, and became an objet d'art and um, was a fun little spoof of the art world. And at the end of it, he essentially gets... Um, kidnapped and sold on the black market to a collector who is going to keep him in a prison forever. And one of the things that's really fun about Missing is the first two or three parts, Dread has disappeared. They get Giant and DeMarco, who, of course, are, you know, 
beloved supporting characters by me and I suspect Graham, uh, but also I suspect by most people. Um, yeah, and I, I honestly, like, by, clearly by Wagner. Yeah, exactly. To, to investigate what happened to Dredd. And one of the things that's pretty great is, um, you know, part two has them dredging up a dissolved body out of a wasteland chem pit wearing a, a judge's outfit. And, you know, you kind of don't quite go for that level of like, oh, shit, like, they wouldn't kill Dredd, would they? Where I kind of had that moment of like, you know, I'll give Wagner credit. I Part of me is like, but needless to say, it's not really until toward the end of part two that the dime drops that Dredd has been kidnapped by this collector and that the story is a much more of a callback than you would have expected. In fact, I am a, a lazy Dread reader with poor memory, but are the other characters in the cages other characters we've encountered before? I didn't recognize them. Hmm. That Again, that doesn't mean anything. Okay. I just, I, yeah. Just I just didn't recognize check. them. Yeah. Yeah. So the the story, the rest of the story at that point where Dredd tries to get out of the cage, meanwhile everyone else tries to track Dredd down is uh it's it's pretty gripping. It does what it says on the tin. And apparently to the point of you would you you're tempted to say it's one of the best in the volume, huh? I I really really dug it. And and what's funny is the first time I read this volume, I didn't and the second time I read the volume, I loved it. Hmm. I, I can't, I don't know what changed. The first time I was like, you know, I think I like this. I don't really know where it's going. I don't know how I feel about it. And the second time, I just absolutely loved it. Hmm. I, 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 I feel like I recognize lots of things about it in terms of pacing, in terms of its use of DeMarco and, and Giant. Right. Uh, and honestly, and what's in terms his name? Of... The other guy, too. There's the undercover guy comes back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I can honestly, I remember his mustache more than I remember his name. Exactly, uh, mustache. Yep. Uh, but also the way you, the the way that Wagner writes Dread imprisoned and how he gets out of there and how he treats the other prisoners. Yes, were all I actually found myself really enjoying the second time around. Honestly, I just didn't the first. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm curious what 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 are your favorites for here? The favorites are really hard here because for me, I think the level of quality is is really high, like you said. There's a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed. I feel like, for me, Mrs. Gunderson's Little Adventure was the one where I was like, I'm loving this. Um, and I think, I think for me, that is entirely due to Henry Flint's art and coloring. Not entirely, although was, I love his coloring and I would love to talk about it at some point. But essentially... Um, Mrs. Gunderson's Little Adventure feels sort of the most like kind of a throwback to Wagner Grant days, um, but somehow like modernized or upgraded or something. It it just didn't feel like just a rehash of like, oh, I've seen this particular trope a million times over, even though I, the 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 farce have. component have <laughs> yeah exactly i've seen things like this but never quite this combination and then the execution is super high um that being said it's not 
it's not my favorite story, although I think I liked it more than you did. But on the first page of Fast Food, I think I've talked about how much I really love Wagner's satire of sporting events and especially um, sort of TV sports. He has a thing where the announcer says, sing a song of ten to sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. Well, these birds aren't black. And there's no pie. I doubt there are even 24 of them. I don't know why I mentioned it, really. I'm a commentator, I suppose. I say things like that. Say little things that go nowhere. Total nonsense, mainly. Ill-informed comments, riddled with cliches. Still, at the end of the day, it's all in the game. And I, I, <laughs> I think, to me, that is so perfect, a skewering of sports commentator talk. I just adore that so much. Um, so that's maybe my favorite page in here, but yeah, I think, I think Mrs. Gunderson's little adventure with, um, the villainous Mr. Block that Henry Flint just draws the shit out of. Um, I just, I just liked it, but, but like you said, it's all really high quality. Like it wasn't until page 158 where in the year 2120 kicks in that I was kind of like, wow, this was a hell of a good run, you know, like, I, and so much better than I think the book has been in terms of like complete volumes. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so too. It's like so much more consistent than yeah. we've seen in a long time. Part of that could literally just be that one guy's writing it. Yeah, well, I mean, one guy is writing it. I also just feel I also feel that um, that the that the art quality is really good. It really doesn't drop below. M- uh, much of a pitch like even the stuff where like like i feel like i feel like lee sullivan is possibly the worst of the bunch in here and he's he's really not bad you know what i mean like he's he's perfectly ser- serviceable you know um like mm-hmm. jason brazil's art you know does undercut in the year 2120 like you said somewhat accidentally but i really like looking at it I really liked looking at, you know, I was like, wow, if they ever do a, if they, if the nineties had produced a judge dread, the max crossover. And I'm kind of shocked that if they didn't, um, like, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Like that would be, that would be pretty fun, you know? So it's the next best thing. So yeah, art's good. The, the writing by Wagner at a very high level. It's just, like I said, for me, there was weird. There was a weird element in the background, which was kind of like, "Wow, this is." For me, maybe I'm making too much of it because I feel like ten volumes, fifteen volumes. It would be really hard for me to say like what makes a good dread story and what doesn't, and sort of like when is a dread story good and when isn't it? You know. And here I can sit here and be like, "Oh, here's a good dread story." But but also at the same time, in a way that has moments that don't feel as true to Dread as, as I would think. And in a way, it doesn't necessarily bother me, but I'm sort of relieved with because it gives me something to talk about on the podcast um, to the point of, of, of your sorrow, Graham. <laughs> I, I'm curious what you're going to think of things as they continue. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if, you know... For, for a better way of putting it, like, Dread will continue to change. Mm-hmm. And 
how you will feel about that. The next volume, I should say, is again entirely Wagner. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're like mostly Wagner for a while, actually. Hmm. Yeah, the volume after that is Wagner with some Alan Grant, interestingly enough. Ooh, wow, that's strange. You know, I have to say, this volume was great, and and Wagner is a big chunk of that. Um, what's sort of interesting and in a way almost a bummer is I felt like other writers were finally starting to get a handle on Dread and, and Dread stories, you know? And... Although I'm not, I'm really, I'm not complaining. Part of me is like, I'm kind of curious to see the next time someone other than Wagner picks up Dread, um, what I'll think of it. And if it, you know, like if I won't like it because I do, because it's Garth Ennis or if I won't like it because it's, you know, because at that point I'm so up my own butt as a Dread fan. I'm like, no, 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 no. Any story of Dread that doesn't end with him, like, taking off his helmet, looking at himself in the mirror and saying, you did it. You made it through another day. Like You did it, Joe. <laughs> that's it. I was thinking champ, and I'm like, it wouldn't be champ, but what would it be? It would be, you did it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's the best. Oh my god. <laughs> like I've never wanted to submit a um a, a Judge Dredd pitch to 2000 AD as much as I do now cuz that would be the funniest. Just for like, that ending. Just to do a piss up. Yeah, just do all the stuff that like and that ending where you're like, "No, you're not, you know, or even better, like do a really good Judge Dredd story right up until that last page where you're like, you didn't understand the character at all. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow, Jeff. Yeah, I would do that. I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm the sort of jerk that would totally try and like craft a perfect story just to get that kind of ending page. So the person could be like, what the fuck? I appreciate your commitment to to the bit. <laughs> to the bit, exactly, exactly. Then Dredd takes his beautiful housekeeper in his arms and carries her to his bed. <laughs> Let Walter handle what? it, he says. All right, so anyway. Um... Uh, so, like I said, John Wagner is writing all of the next volume. And then he writes most of the volume after that, and then he writes all of the volume after that. Good lord! So we're in we're in for a lot of John Wagner in in the next few months. Uh, you're also, however, you'll be happy to know, getting a lot of the artists from this volume back in the next volume. Oh, that's nice. Uh, this the line, artist lineup for the next volume is kind of amazing. You've got Iscara in there as well. Ooh. Uh, Trevor Hairsign's back. Uh, Sean Phillips is back. Mm. Uh, but you've got Alex Ronald, you've got Cliff Robinson, you've got Paul Marshall, who actually did a great job in this volume. We just didn't talk about him. John Burns is back. Uh, yeah, so it's we're heading into, honestly, a kind of great era for Dread again. Yeah. You know, the, the late 90s turns out to be surprisingly strong for Dread. Wow. Uh, in part because Wagner is back, and but in part, I think, because you start, it starts getting consistent again. Right. You know, and, and the art honestly does start taking an uptick again. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so that's, that is, uh, the, the next few months of, of Drock, I think, are going to see some fun reading, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the volume after that, I'm looking at the art lineup. Greg Staples is in there, Alex Ronald again, Steve Tappan again, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Doherty, Paul Marshall, Jason Brazil is in there again, John Burns, Cam Kennedy, Ooh. and Henry Flint. Shit. Wow. Yeah. So, like, there's some great art upcoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's some really good story stuff coming up. Uh, the, not the next volume, but the volume after that and the volume after that. I start building long games again for nice. Wagner uh, and start seeing Wagner also play with the strip's history. You already mentioned the Apocalypse War. That stuff's going to come back into play soon. Oh, I'm really glad. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there, there's, there is some really, really good stuff again. It's not that I would say we've had some bad dread uh, in the last few months, because I don't think we have. No, no. But I, I think that we're getting into better dread mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Uh, which honestly is, is super exciting. Yeah, you know, as, as someone who honestly just likes this shit, <laughs> you know, like we've said this before, I like reading the Nets case files after we've done a drug. Mm-hmm. I just get in that mood. So I'm like, oh, I, I like tricks, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm there again. I'm like, oh, okay, so I might as well just start reading the Nets volume. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I do get that. And in fact, interestingly enough, I kind of had that moment where, uh, for me, um, I, I, again, kind of that thing of like, wow, that was 157 pages of pretty good comics, like all in a row, like, you know, it's half the volume, there's still the half left, I'm, I'm enjoying this, and just kind of that thing of like, man, this is, this is like, yeah, it's good value, like I definitely found myself... Um, yeah, eager, eager for more makes sense. Um, yeah, this was, this was good stuff. The idea that it is that we're, we're getting a good, strong period of, of dread is, um, exciting, but also after finishing this volume, not surprising because, you know, assuming that they continue along this path, I think there's, there's a, there's a, really exceptionally high standard here that is um kind of kind of great now knowing 2000 ad it can all sort of fall apart on a dime you know so you know i say like oh it's not surprising but really the fact of the matter is you know all they need to do is be sold one more time or have the next big Thing that's going to make the company suddenly explode and fail on their face and send them scrambling to to put out a magazine a weekly magazine with like only being able to pay people in tesco coupons is you know is kind of par for the course with 2000 ad's history so and on that happy note <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say very quickly, we are going to be uh, having show notes uh, at some point on Monday at waitwhatpodcast.com. We have an Instagram that I haven't uploaded anything to in ages, but keep meaning to and have stuff to upload. I just haven't done it. Anyway, that's uh, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we're a patron-supported podcast, which means Jeff would like to talk to you right now. Yeah, super quick, because I feel like we've run this pretty long, and I always feel super guilty about that um, when Graham has to edit the podcast. But in brief, 
you guys are awesome. We are so grateful for the fact that you give us your time, your ears, your attention, and you also give back to us with questions and comments and uh, heads up on Twitter about sales or quick uh, email questions. Although I think there was a guy who sent us like 27 questions and I realized I don't think I ever replied to him and I've really got to get on that. But also, separate and apart from that poor individual, there are the many awesome individuals on Patreon who, on top of all of the above, also throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh, which is, um, you know, super inspiring, keeps us um, motivated to try and stay professional, or at least as professional as we can get. Uh, the fine results of Drock and also Baxter Building are 50-plus uh, uh, episode read through the first 416 issues plus of the Fantastic Four um, are directly um, attributable to the awesomeness and kindness and generosity of our Patreon supporters. We thank you. We have a special thank you for Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast and this galactic realm. Um, you know, Audrey, be nice if you could fine-tune it on the micro, but, you know, I certainly have no complaints about the macro. So, thank you. Graham? Oh. I mean, I am I have complaints about the macro and the micro, but honestly, I'm just happy that we're making it through each day, Jeff. There and we each go. each day with you. Aw, and likewise. Like, after this, I'm going to go into the bathroom, take off my helmet, look in my mirror, and say, well, you did it, Jeff. You made it through another day on the streets. <laughs> Oh, God, that's where we should leave it. We're going to be back with another Way Walk next week. That's right. Uh, I'm supposed to sing us out. So until next time, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes, and we'll see you in 30. <laughs>